Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome to another program of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Glad you're with us today. We are in point number two in our worksheet uh, in a series entitled Important Prophecy Terms Compared and Contrasted. And I pray that you, um, particularly if you've been with us uh, for a while, have uh, taken advantage of this worksheet because, as you know, we have gone through so many scriptures, and we do this um, every program uh, and on every point of every series to make as many scriptural proof texts aware uh, available to you so that you'd be aware of them as foundational support for each of the points that we make because, uh, as I pointed out at the beginning of uh, this teaching ministry the months ago that we started and uh, try to do it every once in a while is to make the point that we only use Scripture to make our points. We don't use the writings of man, and there are a lot of good writings out there by a lot of good men, but just as um, there are good writings out there, there are misleading writings out there where men have uh, taken the latitude, if you will, to do their own interpretation uh, rather than letting the Holy Spirit interpret the Scripture for them. And so we need to have discernment. And that's what this program, that's what this series, that's what this whole ministry here at WHCB Radio is about. WHCB Radio is about, and that is to bring discernment, an understanding of light from dark, from good, from evil, and to understand the differences, uh, getting specific now, uh, in prophetic terms. And that's what we're, we're emphasizing in this current teaching series that we're doing in preparation for getting into an overview of all the prophetic events that are going to take place between now and eternity, now and the end of the book of the Bible, uh, as I have been led to understand them, and I want to share them with you. And of course, there'll be plenty of scriptures for each one of those. And as we come to each of those points, and frankly, as we come to any point in the Bible, if you as a listener uh, and as a child of God have a uh, different understanding, a different interpretation, a different discernment about a particular passage or a way that passage has been used here in this um, radio ministry, I would love to hear from you because we are all, regardless of how long we've been in the Word, how much time and effort we put into the Word, we are all learning. In fact, I believe we'll be learning uh, certainly up until the time we see Christ face-to-face and have our glorified bodies and our glorified minds. But I'd like to think that we'll continue to learn then. And I know from my own personal experience uh, sharing this with you is that just in preparing the uh, the Scripture verses and doing the research for each of these programs and each of these series, I have learned some things that have uh, changed my perspective Uh, Thankfully, nothing dramatically, but I have uh, taken on different perspectives 
as I analyze different passages and realizing more, more in more detail who's being spoken to as we as we try to apply that inductive study method and asking who, what, where, when, why, and how, that uh, my eyes have been open more broadly, more widely, if you will, to certain passages than it was before. And I pray the same thing is happening to you and will continue to happen for all of us uh, because um, it is a revelatory process. All that God wants us to know is sitting in front of you, and I pray you have your Bibles opened up in front of you. Everything that God wants you to know is in there, but he has given us his Holy Spirit to understand it, and only the Holy Spirit can truly reveal the truths and the mysteries. And of course, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, there aren't any mysteries anymore, only to those who don't believe and who may be searching. But for us who claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and have the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, these mysteries are revealed to us as we study the Scriptures. But as you as you grow in your knowledge of the Word, your knowledge of the understanding of who God is and what His will is for the world, and, and, and more just as importantly, what His will is for you as one of His children, as a son and daughter of the living God, this is called revelation. It's a revelatory process as you gain more insight, more knowledge, and the Bible tells us, uh, in fact, it's Paul that tells us, and I believe it's 2 Corinthians, somewhere around verse 9, it says, we make it our uh, our number one priority, really, using my own words, to please God. And then we go over into um, Paul's writings again, and it tells us what pleases God. What pleases God is growing in our knowledge of who he is and in being about the work that he has given us through the Holy Spirit, through his Son, to use that knowledge that we have for the betterment of the invisible kingdom, which is the kingdom of the spiritual kingdom, uh, that's going to lead up once the church is gone to Christ coming down to the earth, to understanding all of that and how it flows and how we fit into that overall picture. That's what God wants us to know. And we learn that as we study his precious scriptures and we, we need to do that together, and we need to keep each other accountable, and we need to uh, raise our hands, if you will, and ask questions. Because when you study the Bible, there's no, as people like to say, I've got a dumb question. There are no dumb questions. Frankly, I believe, and I, I really I get excited when somebody sends a question in, because if they have a question, you know a large part of the audience has the same question, and they may or may not feel comfortable asking it. So um, thankful for people who are willing to ask the questions because we all grow. We are all edified, and we all grow in our discernment as we look to the Scriptures to help to answer these questions. So uh, can't tell I'm excited about studying the Word. We are in, um, as I said, in point number two in our seven sets of terms uh, the two set the set of terms we're looking at here in point number two, as you see on your worksheet, is the day of Christ talking about the rapture and the day of the Lord talking about a period of time in the tribulation that has the judgment of uh, that's brought about by the return of Christ to the earth the second time. The first time was two thousand years ago. It's called the first advent, and then when he comes back, 
It's the second advent. So when you hear the term or the phrase, the inner advent period, it means the time between his first coming and Jesus' second coming. The church age is within that, but it's not the totally the same thing. Obviously, um, the Lord came um, 2,000 years ago, was born on the earth. Well, the church wasn't in existence at that time. Remember, the church did not come into existence until um, 10 days after Christ left the earth and went back to heaven uh, after Israel had rejected his offer of the kingdom here on earth. He went back to heaven, and at uh, Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, that starts the church age. Then the rapture of the church takes place to end the church age, but there's still a period of time after that that includes the seven-year tribulation. And at the end of that seven-year tribulation is when Christ comes back. That ends the inter-advent period. So just to differentiate those two terms, uh, the church age and the inner advent age, they are um, one and the same, but not totally the same, because there's a period of um, overlap at the beginning and the end that applies to the uh, Jews and not to the church. So hopefully that didn't get you distracted there, but I just wanted to, to make that point. So we, uh, we're we looking at the day of the Lord here, the second coming and the judgment that's involved in that, and we finished our um program yesterday, uh, in our last program, I should say, uh, in Joel chapter 2, and we were looking at um, verse 11, Joel chapter 2, verse 11, and it says, the Lord utters his voice before his army. So it's clear that the Lord's involved in this event called the day of the Lord, and he's coming back with his armies from heaven, which in this case, as we talked about last time, is the... um, the are the angels that's his army that's coming back that does battle for and with him uh, there's nothing that i can find in the scripture that says that the church when we come back as his wife nothing says we participate in this um battle if you will this um punishment that takes place uh culminating in the the battle of armageddon uh that we participate in that so i'm i am uh of the understanding that his armies is he and his angels. And it says, the Lord utters his voice before his army, verse 11 of Joel 2, and it says, surely his camp is very great. So there's a lot of angels. For strong is he who carries out his word. And he, you notice his lowercase, at least it is in my NASB, and um, therefore referring to... um, most likely here referring to his army, which is his angels. For strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great and very awesome. And who can endure it? Who can endure it? Now, obviously, there are going to be those who do endure it, and those are going to be the few uh, Jews and the few uh, Gentiles who are counted as righteous and will actually physically enter the millennial kingdom on earth in their carnal bodies. They will not have resurrected bodies. They will go in and populate the earth, and they will procreate, and will have a thousand years of a a much better place, but not a perfect place. This is not eternity. There still will be shedding of tears. There will still be death. There will still be sin. 
it will just be a lot less than we certainly have today because Jesus will be sitting on the throne as King of Kings and Lord of Lords in Jerusalem. People will actually come and see him there and worship him there. And the church will be back on the earth ruling and reigning with him. So uh, Christ's presence through his church will be global. And um, if discipline is needed due to sinfulness, the church will be part of uh, the uh, group that addresses that through Jesus Christ. So it's a, it's a difficult time there at the end of the tribulation during the day of the Lord, and it's going to be a day that's very awesome. And the question is asked by Joel through the leading of the Holy Spirit, who can endure it? All right, we're going to stay in our 12 minor prophets, and we were in Joel the second as you're coming out of Daniel, the last of the major prophets, the big books. As you uh, get into Hosea, then you get to Joel, and it's a very short uh, three chapters. We're going to go into Amos, the very next minor prophet book, Amos, and we're going to go to Amos chapter 5, Amos chapter 5, and in Amos chapter 5, we're going to look at 18 through 20, 18 through 20, and in Amos chapter 5, verse 18, it says, alas, you who are longing, (laughs) imagine that. You who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. As when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him, or goes home, leans his hand against the wall, and a snake bites him. Verse 20. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? So again, you see how solemn the the verbiage is here. And for those of you that have been with us uh, for a while, when we were uh, discussing the other part of this um, set of terms, that is the day of Christ, which describes the rapture of the church, you recall how all of those passages were so encouraging and so uplifting and you it was talking about being eager for this event to take place and that we should encourage one another as we see this day drawing near but in contrast looking at the day of the lord here in these passages in isaiah and ezekiel and joel and now in amos we see how solemn and how uh, moody and dark it is, and it's darkness instead of light, as it says in Amos 5.20, even gloom with no brightness in it. So, uh, you know, I pray that this has been obvious to you, that the day of the Lord is uh, not a day of joy, not a day of eagerness uh, as we await for it to happen. It's one that, unfortunately, the Jews know from their scriptures if they read them, and discern them, they know that it's coming. They know that it's coming. All right, this is a the Minor Prophet book of Amos. We were in Joel, which is the book just to the left of it. Now let's go to the book just to the right of Amos, and that's the book of Obadiah, the book of Obadiah. And it's all of one chapter, all of one chapter. <laughs> and we want to go to Obadiah, and we want to look at verses 15, 16, and 17. Obadiah, 
There's only one chapter. We want to look at verses 15, 16, and 17. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. So there's that phraseology again. As you have done, it will be done to you. So obviously, in the overall context here, he's talking about retribution on those who have denied uh, through through the understanding of salvation, through the uh, sacrificial uh, sacrificing of, of another party. Uh, it has been through the idea of the sheep and the goats and the bulls and the rams and so forth. But it's the idea that you are a sinful person and that God cannot stand sin and that there has to be a sacrifice for those sins. And there is a substitutionary entity that will do that for you, in fact, has done that for you, because, uh, what is it, Revelation 13.8 tells us that Christ was crucified before the foundation of the world. But it's an understanding through that faith that um, you can be saved from this, and that's where we're going to go to to, um, Hebrews in just a moment here. But it says, uh, the, day of the, law, the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow. It means to stagger. And, because of, uh, because as, and become as if they had never existed. Whoo! Verse 17, but on Mount Zion there will be those who escape, and it will be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. So it's talking about how there's going to be a tribulation, there's going to be a judgment, and people will be judged for their own actions in their denial um, through lack of faith in what God has offered them and this idea of a substitutionary sacrifice, because at this point they didn't know who Jesus was, but the concept of Jesus was very clear, or it was available to be very clear. Let me put it that way. But it says that there will be those who escape, and that's talking about the Jews that are counted as righteous at the end of the tribulation and the judgment. It says in the house of Jacob, and when you see Jacob, that means all 12 tribes. It doesn't say Israel. It doesn't say Judah. It says Jacob. So there is another telltale word or sign that tells you we're talking about the end uh, of the tribulation period. So we're going to um, look, uh, taking what we've learned so far, and in our next program, in the teaching portion, because now we're going to go over to our Q&A, in our teaching portion, I want to take us over to uh, Hebrews, and we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. And for those of you that have been in Hebrews before, you know that that's the faith passage involving the Old Testament saints. And that's what uh, I want to talk about uh, for a moment. But now we need to uh, transition over to our Q&A, as we always do in our programs, uh, because it's important to allow uh, our listening audience to ask questions. And we've been dealing with a question about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit during the tribulation period with an understanding that according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way as the restrainer of evil on the earth. So 
the church indwells is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and therefore the church, by default, if you will, is the restrainer of evil on the earth. And in order for the Antichrist to be allowed to be revealed at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, that restraint of evil has to be taken out of the way to give him full sway on the earth. So that's the church. The church is taken out of the way in what's called the rapture. So when the church is taken out of the way, that means that no one from then on can accept Christ and have the Holy Spirit indwell them forever for that period of time until the end of the tribulation. So the Holy Spirit's function will go back to the way it was in the Old Testament, that when you're righteous, the Holy Spirit would come on you. But if you turn to, to uh, iniquity, to evil, to a lifestyle of sin, the Holy Spirit would leave you. We went over a number of scriptures to support that point. And then we went to the New Testament. We went to Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, the parable of the ten virgins, to make the point that that is also talking about the tribulation period. It's talking particularly to Israel, but it could be applicable as well to the Gentiles on the earth at that time, that like in the Old Testament, if they maintain their righteousness through the seven-year tribulation, that when Christ came back to, to offer them a seat at the wedding supper, not the wedding, it has nothing to do with the church. He's not talking about the bride in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. He's talking about the bridesmaids, if you will. They are invited to the wedding supper, but only if they're righteous. And those who had the 12, or excuse me, those that had the oil in their lamps, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, uh, were counted as righteous and they were invited in. The five who had let the Holy Spirit go and had turned to a lifestyle of unbelief, they were denied entry into the wedding supper. So again, a New Testament example of what uh, the function is of the Holy Spirit during the tribulation period. And then we talked about those in the Old Testament that were counted as righteous that would be resurrected at the end of the tribulation period, just to kind of bring it full circle. And we saw that in Daniel chapter 12, 1 and 2, where it talks about at the end of the tribulation, all of those Old Testament saints would be resurrected to eternal life. And then we took um, a look at the uh, sixth chapter of John to build on that case, the sixth chapter of John. And uh, in John chapter 6, we were reading in a number of places uh, in fact, we'd finished up in John 6, 44, so let's go there. It says in John 6, 44, no one can come to me, and this is Jesus speaking, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day, on the last day. And that last day is a figure of speech to describe the end of the tribulation. We see that used by Matthew, we know for sure, because we were there in Matthew chapter 24 and saw how that was used several times to describe the day of judgment at the end of the tribulation. And just to draw that full circle in the book of John, uh, staying in John 6 with your finger, we went to John 12. We went to John 12 into verse 48, and it says, He who rejects me 
me being Jesus, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. And that's basically saying he who does not believe me and believe my word, the word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day, at the last day. And you'll recall back in our teaching portion of today's program, when we were in Amos, uh, it was talking about how what you have done, what you have said will be brought back to use against you in my judgment of you. So we see that reiterated here again. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. What I said and what you said to deny my words of eternal life will be used against you on that last day when he's when you're judged. So he's talking about raising people up on the last day, raising them up at the end of the tribulation. And remember, he's not talking about the church. He's not talking to the church. The church is not in view here yet chronologically. He is still offering them the gospel of the kingdom to set it up right now. And they know that from the Old, Old Testament that there would be a time of tribulation that precedes the beginning of the kingdom that he's offering. They know that from all the scriptures that, in fact, the scriptures that we've been studying in our teaching portion, particularly the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord involves the last day that we've been talking about. Well, how can these people do this if they didn't know who Jesus was? And he says, I will raise them up on the last day. Well, if you would, let's go to Hebrews. Go to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. So if you get to um, Thessalonians and Timothy and then the little book of Titus and then you get to Philemon and then you'll get to uh, the book of Hebrews. And we want to go to what's called the faith chapter. The faith chapter and talks about all the Old Testament saints and the faith that they had. And I specifically want to take us to the last two verses, the last two verses of Hebrews 11. And it says in Hebrews 11, verses 39 and 40, And after all these, all these people of the Old Testament that have been talked about in all of their faith, it says, And all these, having gained approval, and of course that's the approval of God, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. 40, because God had not provided something, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they, the Old Testament saints, would not be made perfect. Well, what is that? It was the birth, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what had been promised but had not been received or realized by the Old Testament saints until Jesus came. And when Jesus came, that was all made possible. Because remember, all the Old Testament saints, when they died, their spirits went to Abraham's bosom in under the earth. And then when Jesus came and when he died and was resurrected, he went down into Abraham's bosom and took the spirits of all those Old Testament saints and took them to heaven, to the new Jerusalem, our home. And anybody that died from that point on, their spirit went right to the new Jerusalem. It went to heaven. It did not go to um, Abraham's bosom. So what had been promised hasn't, hadn't been realized by the Old Testament saints until Jesus 
was able to do that. And then he would raise them up on the last day. So it's that day of judgment that they would be raised up. So that's what's referred to here in John chapter 6 that relates back to Daniel chapter 12. And we'll continue that thought in our next Q&A portion. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.